Section 121 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 152 Greenwich, July 15th, Old Style, 1751 My dear friend, As this is the last, or last letter but one, that I think I shall write before I have the pleasure of seeing you here, it may not be amiss to prepare you a little for our interview, and for the time we shall pass together. Before kings and princes meet, ministers on each side adjust the important points of precedence, arm-chairs, right hand and left, etc., so that they know previously what they are to expect, what they have to trust to, and it is right they should, for they commonly envy or hate, but most certainly distrust each other. We shall meet upon very different terms, we want no such preliminaries. You know my tenderness, I know your affection. My only object, therefore, is to make your short stay with me as useful as I can to you, and yours, I hope, is to cooperate with me. Whether by making it wholesome, I shall make it pleasant to you, I am not sure. Emetics and cathartics I shall not administer, because I am sure you do not want them. But for alternatives you must expect a great many, and I can tell you that I have a number of nostrums, which I shall communicate to nobody but yourself. To speak without a metaphor, I shall endeavour to assist your youth with all the experience that I have purchased, at the price of seven and fifty years. In order to this, frequent reproofs, corrections, and admonitions will be necessary, but then I promise you that they shall be in a gentle, friendly, and secret manner. They shall not put you out of countenance in company, nor out of humour when we are alone. I do not expect that, at nineteen, you should have that knowledge of the world, those manners, that dexterity, which few people have at nine and twenty. But I will endeavour to give them to you, and I am sure you will endeavour to learn them, as far as your youth, my experience, and the time we shall pass together will allow. You may have many inaccuracies, and to be sure you have, for who is not at your age, which few people will tell you of, and some nobody can tell you of but myself. You may possibly have others, too, which eyes less interested, and less vigilant than mine, do not discover. All those you shall hear of from one whose tenderness for you will excite his curiosity and sharpen his penetration. The smallest inattention or error in manners, the minutest inelegance of diction, the least awkwardness in your dress and carriage, will not escape my observation, nor pass without amicable correction. Two, the most intimate friends in the world, can frequently tell each other their faults, and even their crimes, but cannot possibly tell each other of certain little weaknesses, awkwardnesses, and blindnesses of self-love. To authorize that unreserved freedom, the relation between us is absolutely necessary. For example, I had a very worthy friend, with whom I was intimate enough to tell him his faults. He had but few. I told them of him. He took it kindly of me, and corrected them. But then he had some weaknesses that I could never tell him of directly, and which he was so little sensible himself, that hints of them were lost upon him. He had a scrag neck, of about a yard long, notwithstanding which, bags being in fashion, truly he would wear one to his wig, and did so, but never behind him, for upon every motion of his head his bag came forward over one shoulder or the other. He took it into his head, too, that he must occasionally dance minuets, because other people did, and he did so, not only extremely ill, but so awkward, so disjointed, slim, so meagre was his figure, that had he danced as well as ever Marcel did, it would have been ridiculous in him to have danced at all. I hinted these things to him as plainly as friendship would allow, and to no purpose. 
but to have told him the whole, so as to cure him, I must have been his father, which, thank God, I am not. As fathers commonly go, it is seldom a misfortune to be fatherless, and considering the general run of sons, as seldom a misfortune to be childless. You and I form, I believe, an exception to that rule, for I am persuaded that we would neither of us change our relation, were it in our power. You will, I both hope and believe, be not only the comfort, but the pride of my age, and I am sure I will be the support, the friend, the guide of your youth. Trust me without reserve. I will advise you without private interest or secret envy. Mr. Hart will do so, too, but still there may be some little things proper for you to know, and necessary for you to correct, which even his friendship would not let him tell you of so freely as I should, and some, of which he may not possibly be so good a judge of as I am, not having lived so much in the great world. One principal topic of our conversation will be, not only the purity but the elegance of the English language, in both which you are very deficient. Another will be the constitution of this country, of which, I believe, you know less than of most other countries in Europe. Manners, attentions, and address will also be the frequent subjects of our lectures, and whatever I know of that important and necessary art, the art of pleasing, I will unreservedly communicate to you. Dress, too, which as things are, I can logically prove, requires some attention, will not always escape our notice. Thus my lectures will be more various, and in some respects more useful than Professor Moscow's, and therefore I can tell you that I expect to be paid for them. But as possibly you would not care to part with your ready money, and as I do not think that it would be quite handsome in me to accept it, I will compound for the payment, and take it in attention and practice. Pray remember to part with all your friends, acquaintances, and mistresses, if you have any at Paris, in such a manner as to make them not only willing but impatient to see you there again. Assure them of your desire of returning to them, and do it in a manner that they may think you in earnest, that is, avec onction est une espice d'attendrissement. All people say pretty near the same things upon those occasions. It is the manner only that makes the difference, and that difference is great. Avoid, however, as much as you can, charging yourself with commissions, in your return from hence to Paris. I know by experience that they are exceedingly troublesome, commonly expensive, and very seldom satisfactory at last, to the persons who gave them. Some you cannot refuse, to people to whom you are obliged, and would oblige in your turn. But as to common fiddle-faddle commissions, you may excuse yourself from them with truth, by saying that you are to return to Paris through Flanders, and see all those great towns, which I intend you shall do, and stay a week or ten days at Brussels. Adieu! A good journey to you, if this is my last. If not, I can repeat again what I shall wish constantly. End of section 121 Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.